Hi there, this is Christian Horner. You've won the Austrian Grand Prix. <laughs> this is Sergio Perez. Hi, I'm Max Stappen. You are listening to Talking Bulls, the official Red Bull Racing podcast. Oh, this feels good. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Talking Board, the official Red Bull Racing podcast. It's been an explosive end to the first part of the 2021 season. And before we head into the summer break, we wanted to get both Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez on the podcast to answer your questions. First, though, we're lucky to work with an absolute Formula One legend here at Red Bull, the genius behind all our cars, Adrian Newey. He doesn't often take part in interviews, and Steve Nash got the chance to sit down with him and ask all the important questions about the season so far. Over to you, chaps. We're uh, 11 races into the 2021 season, and arguably within our best sort of fight for a championship since 2013. Uh, How does it feel to be back at the top competing? Uh, lots of pressure at the moment. Obviously, the, the last couple of races have been very painful for us. Um, having had that sweet spot through the triple header, then uh, to be taken out in two races and finish with almost zero points out of those has, has been painful. And it, it just highlights how quickly things can change, really, but from kind of everything looking very good, after, particularly after the second Austria race. Um, in a sort of decent points lead, then two races later, we're, we're slightly behind in both. But, I mean, I think uh, that's the nature of the tightness of the competition we're in. Um, we've just got to keep our heads down and, and keep pushing. And does being in previous title challenges, you know, over the years, does that experience help for things like now? So say we hadn't been in this sort of position before where we've been challenged and, like you said, the last two races of like can be the complete opposite from the start can you draw on that experience the great thing about red bull is that we've generally had very good stability amongst our workforce and if we go all the way back to 2009 which was our the first time when we were able to mount a championship challenge then okay that particular time we we lost out but i think that experience and then going on to two very tight championship battles in 2010 and 12. It's kind of moulded us and helped to give us a resilience and a, a keep going. Definitely. And if we sort of go back to the start of the season in Bahrain, did you have any feeling at that start that it was going to be a championship contender car? Or is it very much unknown until it gets out on track? It tends to be very much unknown until it gets out on track. We had a mid-sized regulation change over the winter in terms of some aerodynamic um, restrictions around the floor and the, the back of the car. Not major ones, but re-optimisation of the car to go with it. And then we had what has, I think, been unique. I can't remember this happening before. This homologation of the previous year's car into this season as a result of the, the COVID problems of last year, which meant we were very limited on what we could do to the car, but there were tokens that we could spend. We decided to spend those on the gearbox casing and that allowed us to also change the rear suspension arrangements which was one thing i didn't feel had worked that well on the rb16 of last year so i think that was a a decent step forwards seems like we read the regulation changes on the aero reasonably well as well so when we got testing in Bahrain, instantly they both drive, well, Checo hadn't driven the car, of course, before, but Max was very complimentary of the car and 
felt it was a good step forward from last year's car. So coming out of the Bahrain test, we, we felt we had a competitive package. But of course, you, you never know where exactly that's going to be. Um, you don't, from winter testing, you don't know what engine modes people are running, what fuel loads and so on and so forth. So it's a, an endless minefield trying to understand how competitive you are, really are in pre-season. Definitely. But yeah, Bahrain race, I mean, we didn't win it, but we, we showed we were certainly competitive. And um, it's been nip and tuck since then. Really. And I know you said the the areas of the car you sort of spent the tokens on, which you felt probably have made a, a massive upgrade. Are they the things that have made the car stronger this year than than last year? Yes, I think last year, at the start of the year, there were some things on the car that we, in truth, didn't fully understand in terms of the changes between the RB15 of 2019 and the 16 of 20. Which just shows, even though we have our wind tunnel program, all our simulation and so forth, there, there's still things we don't fully understand and can trip you up. And, and that's exactly what happened. So it took us a bit of time to understand and get on top of those. But as is so often the case when those things happen, then you actually learn things that perhaps you wouldn't have done otherwise. It's, it's almost sometimes you can learn more from mistakes than you can from the good things. So I think that stood us in good stead for what we did over the winter and um, where we are now. And how closely do you work with Max and Checo? I guess Max more at the start of the year, but throughout the season, do they have a close relationship with you? And is it important that they do? Do you listen to their feedback and... I guess basically how much of an influence can they have on a car during a season? Well, first of all, when you say me, I mean, I think it's, it's all <laughs> the senior guys. So it's, it's, um, but yes, they have a big influence. I think um, the fact is that all the, the data we measure on the car, um, with the, the hundreds of sensors we have for aero, aerodynamics, vehicle dynamics, etc., they kind of tell you what the car is doing but it's the driver that's much better at telling you why it's doing it and it's then a matter of trying to marry the driver's comments to to the sensors and i think that's one of the fascinating bits of the sport is that trying to factor in the human input into what's otherwise a a data-driven exercise so yes their comments are very important and having sergio joining us this year with his experience from other teams was also very useful because in, it's not since we had um, Mark and DC that we've had drivers that have not come through the Red Bull program. So having somebody that's had experience at other teams just gives different perspective and, and input to, to what we have otherwise. Yeah, I hadn't really thought of that. And I guess they can sort of see from a different point of view areas, can't they? And sort of feed that back in and yeah. With the the sort of second half of the season, it's I mean it's incredibly busy. You've got almost triple header upon triple header upon triple header. Um, does that affect sort of making upgrades to the car, making tweaks for good or for bad? I guess how how much does a busy second half of the season allow you to make those changes? Busy second half of the season is obviously a, a huge load on the race team itself in terms of the travel and time away from home and so forth and it's a a strain on the factory in terms of consumption of parts Uh, i mean obviously the the last two races has also been a heavy drain on the factory because the amount of accident damage we've now got to contend with but in terms of the kind of development of the car that's not the number of races doesn't particularly change it but the big balancing act we've got now is we've got this huge regulation change for next season i would say the the biggest single regulation change we've had since 
the old Grand Effect Venturi cars were banned at the end of, I think, 1982. So it really is a, an enormous change in, in every sense of the word. The only thing that really stays the same is the power unit. Everything else is different. Um, and how are you feeling about that, I guess, that new sort of challenge for next year? Well, at the moment, it's, it's, it's kind of, we now have this balancing act, as do all teams, of course, of trying to keep developing this year's car because hopefully we have a, a shot at the championship or certainly we do at the moment and yes at the same time we can't sort of just concentrate that on that and ignore next year so we're doing our best to, to juggle those two balls whilst of course also coping with the, the latest cost cap which as everybody knows has meant unfortunately we've had to shrink the size of the team in certain areas. With these sort of new regs and it offers a whole new sort of set of I guess challenges or for the sport at least uh, a new era and we can sort of continue to to get in that new high-tech era I can see your drawing board behind you and I know you still yeah. sort of love to sketch and design whether it's here at the factory would you would anything ever stop you from using that as we move forward or is that for you still the the sort of bread and butter you go back to that even when the sport tries to go in a completely new direction, I guess. <laughs> I'm clearly showing my age and still using a drawing board. And I'm, no, I'm not at all, not at all. <laughs> and I'm also going to show my age by not being flexible enough to change away from it now. I mean, I'm asked this question a lot. To me, it's whether you use a drawing board or a CAD system, both are ways of taking kind of what's in your head and putting it down in a medium which can then be, in my case, communicated to others more than anything. Um, obviously, when it actually comes to the detail design and manufacture of the components, then everything now is made by computer-aided machinery. So it has to go onto the CAD system. And so it's, it's only kind of, perhaps a, a very few people, if they wanted to, could use a drawing board because we, we have to then have a, a bunch of people that can translate those drawings into, and put them onto the CAD system. You know, in my case, if it's an aerodynamic drawing, for instance, then that still has to be turned into a set of surfaces to go through CFD and then if that looks promising, onto wind tunnel model components. But for me, it's, it's just a language. It's the language I grew up on and it's the language on, it's my first language, if you like. So I think if I now learn to use a CAD system, it would always be my second language, and I'd be slow on it. But of course, for the, for the people that are of a younger generation than myself, then it would be the other way around. No, definitely. And as we're sort of on the topic of the note taking the drawing, on the grid, we often see you with uh, your red notebook sort of walking around. And are you able to tell us sort of what the story behind that is? And is it looking at the competitors and seeing what areas might be of interest? Cause it's the only sort of time you, you do it. It's a combination of I guess mainly looking at competitors and of course we all the teams now have their own photographer and so we get hundreds of photos of, of our competitors each weekend but I still quite like looking at the cars because you can then walk around them and, in, and see them in 3D rather than obviously the limitations of the photograph and it's I suppose a little bit of laziness that I don't have the time to spend a, a lot of time endlessly sitting at photographs of competitors easy just to walk around and, and, and see which bits catch my attention and that can that can really be anything indeed when the cars in the garage i've spent quite a lot of time just looking at our own car i think it's, it's just trying to look at different angles what we're doing what other people are doing uh, and see if that sparks any ideas which may not necessarily be just a direct copy it's a kind of 
why is somebody doing this? Why is somebody doing that type thought process? Uh, you've obviously as well got like a massive passion for designing and, you know, a lot of people look up to you as their sort of idol, I'd imagine in the sort of role model in the engineering world. When, you know, did you get this passion? When did it come? Did you have it from a child? Were you sort of drawing cars or did it come later in life, I guess? No, it very much came as a child. Um, my, my dad was a vet, no obvious connection, but he was also a, a huge car enthusiast and he had a um, succession Mini Cooper S's and then Lotus Alans, the second one of which was built from the kit, which I think was a way of avoiding VAT in the day. So the second one, I, I was, by then I was about 11 or so, so I helped him build it. Um, and I was, I was, his passion was road cars. For whatever reason, I think perhaps from the scale electric set that I was given when I was about six or seven, then, then mine was much more racing cars, but design and engineering in general. And so I used to build these little Tamiya 12 scale models. And then um, by the age of about 11 or 12, I got bored of kind of building other people's designs. So I then cannibalized those models and used my dad's workshop to start a sketching cars of my own design and, and then making them out of bits of metal and fiberglass and so forth, aluminum and fiberglass. And of course I had absolutely no idea what I was doing, but I think it, it cemented my kind of interest in design. Um, so when I started karting when I was about 14 or 15, then my interest, I enjoyed the driving, but my real interest was, was how to make the, the go-kart go faster. And so I kind of rebuilt the engine and learnt to weld and made a new chassis for it and all that sort of stuff. So. I think um, it, it's, it just all came from came from there. And I think where I was perhaps very lucky was although I didn't know what I was doing, I was practising the, the skill set in terms of sketching things and then making them and trying to understand why things worked and why they didn't. And so if you go back to that sort of theory that you need to be good at something, you need to spend 500 hours on it, ideally from a young age, then... I unwittingly did exactly that. It's really interesting. And you obviously said you did a bit of go-karting. Did you, were you a good good racer? Were you were you decent? Was it, if you hadn't pursued the sort of engineering side of things, do you think you could have gone very far in sort of racing? No, I don't really think so. I think uh, <laughs> I, I, in the end, I only did a couple of races at um, Shennington, which is my local kart track. I decided I wanted a gearbox cart, so it was a, a class with a, a Villiers engine, which is an old sort of British two-stroke motorcycle engine. And it, the combination of it and me were pretty hopelessly slow, but as I say, my, my passion became in modifying it and trying to make it go faster. And, and indeed, I think I uh, succeeded in the latter, but it was still towards the back end of the grid. Obviously, a big part of, I think, Red Bull and definitely sort of Red Bull racing is we see a lot of young sort of talent, I'd say, around the factory and a lot of people who are inspired to sort of work here. Is that something that you you like about, I guess, Red Bull and Red Bull Racing, that we're sort of trying to inspire, you could say, the next Adrian Newey, for argument's sake, like we're, we're always looking to give people that chance to make their next big break? I was lucky when I got into the sport because in those days, which, well, I started in 1980 as an aerodynamicist and I was hired as a a junior aerodynamicist at a team called Fittipaldi in Formula 1, which also turned out to be senior aerodynamicist. I was the only aerodynamicist, which is kind of unbelievable by where we are now. Uh, and typically teams had a total of five or six engineers. Um, so you, you could end up 
having quite a lot of responsibility quite early, which in some ways is a good thing. On the other hand, it meant there was nobody to help you or teach you. You just had to work it out for yourself. Fast forward to today, then we, we have obviously a very big team. I think the, the atmosphere we have in the engineering team is, is great and bringing in graduates and young talents and seeing how they grow and mature and how everybody kind of coaches them so that they can get up to speed. I think it's we have a really good atmosphere and structure in achieving that. And it's whilst you could argue it's because of the size we have, you're a bit more restricted in how much or how many areas you can become involved in. The flip side of that is that you can go into much more detail with all these great simulation tools and uh, facilities that we now have that if you go back to the past you just didn't have those things so it could be very frustrating because you couldn't generate the understanding that we are now able to do so. Yeah definitely and I guess part of what's happening at the Rebel sort of technology campus as well is Rebel Advanced Technologies and the sort of amazing work that you've done with the working on the Aston Martin Valkyrie was sort of working on a road car design something you've always wanted to do as I know you sort of we sort of touched on your sort of what you were playing and tinkering around with when you were younger so has that road car making an incredible road car always been at your back of the mind and finally you were sort of allowed to let it run free with the Valkyrie yeah absolutely spot on there kind of and so my dad was very much a a sports car enthusiast and of course that rubbed off whilst racing became my passion the, the, the road car side was also a huge interest so when we started talking to Aston Martin the, the, the opportunity to design a car from scratch was, was too good to miss and it also helped to kind of put the seeds into the, the growth of Red Bull Advanced Technology which is now starting to pick up other great projects with the bicycle uh, the hypercar got some other exciting things happening soon so I think it's great to be able to have that diversity through the company um, and have different interests and indeed if people then want to move around a little bit then they, they can if they so wish. Yeah and I guess what are you most proud about from your work on the Valkyrie? Are you able to tell us that and then also I suppose what was the biggest learning for if you were to work on any other sort of future car products like what did you take away from that? The culture that we have within a racing team is very dynamic. We push hard, we work to very tight time scales, but those time scales are not are not movable. The first race is when it is and you can't miss it. And we also will take a degree of risk in what we do. We obviously try to to do the best we possibly can to use all the research tools available to us to, to minimize that risk. But if we think there's something that will give us more performance, then we feel it's a manageable risk then we'll have a go and that is almost polar opposite to what the big manufacturers do where they they have to be a bit more risk adverse because they can't afford a, a failure um, they don't have such hard and fast deadlines and because they are typically another order again bigger in size then they can't react as quickly as we can so it's, it's as I say it's just a a cultural difference which um, can be difficult to, to overcome. I think it's probably that across the board, isn't it? In every sort of sense of the word, with F1 being a very sort of high-paced thing. So you, I know you drove the Valkyrie at Silverstone um, and you took it up the hill at Goodwood. Uh, 
how good is it to feel some, to drive something you designed? I suppose is you can't necessarily, I'm sure you could, but jump in the RB16B and take it for a lap around Silverstone, it's not not as doable as it is the Valkyrie. So, yeah, I guess how good was it to drive something you've designed? Well, I have been lucky enough to have driven Formula 1 cars before that I've been involved in. I don't have the ability to be able to push them to their limit, but simply drive around a lap or whatever, then, then I can do that. But driving the Valkyrie is a, a different experience again because it's it's kind of being a, a road car that will then be driven by lots of other people and hopefully enjoyed by lots of people is very different to Formula One car, which only has a singular purpose. It's, it, a road car is a, a much more kind of multifaceted um a task, if you like, than, than Formula One, which is all about getting to the flag first. And sort of going back to a little bit about Formula One as well, when Honda sort of joined us, so we're sort of keeping on that sort of train of things, but did them joining and their energy and offering to really sort of give us a really good power unit give you that sort of new feeling of excitement to, to sort of push forward? Uh, within the F1 world? I think it gave everybody a, a renewed boost of energy. With, with Renault during the V8 era, then we had a, a very close and tight relationship with them, and I felt we were treated completely equally with, with the works team. Whereas as the hybrid era kind of rolled on, then the, the relationship between Renault and ourselves became increasingly difficult and fractured. So it, it became a difficult period where we, in truth, knew that it was always going to be near impossible to put up a, a championship challenge because we would be too far back. Whereas with Honda, with their level of com- commitment and enthusiasm and, and progress, then that's completely different. And I think that level of commitment is, is such an important thing. It's not just the performance. If you can see that your partner is every bit as passionate and pushing just as hard as you are, then then you can kind of push each other along. And if one makes a mistake, then you, you can allow for that. You, you can't criticise them for it. You know they're, they're doing everything they can. And I guess what we see a lot in the fans and in the media as well is we're doing so well with Honda, so we must there must be something that's going on behind the scenes because you're doing so well. And then I guess across other teams, we've seen them try and pick holes with us with you know the flexible rear wing. Do you see that when someone does that as a compliment because you're obviously doing something right and thinking outside the box? And does that only happen when you are leading the way? Certainly, it is absolutely correct that that um, the top teams are only interested in what their main rival is doing. They're not particularly worried about what a team near the back of the grid is doing. And so if you take the recent flexible rear wing, then we were not the only team exploiting that. Alpha and I think uh, one other team, I can't remember which, were doing exactly the same. And of course, when Mercedes started making noise about it, they weren't worried about what Alpha were doing, they were worried about whether we were getting benefit from it. So, yes, you're right. In a way, you can take it as a form of compliment. And we've been there before in, in the last championship battles with Ferrari back in the sort of T12 area. Then we, there are all sorts of rows over bodywork flexibility as well. And that time it was mainly aimed at at the um, front wing. So it is natural. We'll equally be kind of taking a careful eye on what Mercedes are doing and see if we can see anything that they are doing that we might be able to have a pop-up. It's natural. You know, I know it's, 
and never particularly like the war analogy, but it, it is a decent analogy. And, and so in the war analogy, you, you look at every aspect you can to, to improve your competitive position. And I know at the start you said that Max has been involved in incidents in the last few races through no fault of his own. But, however, he still has that attitude, you know, to get back out, fight, never gives up. Just look at his car at the end of the Hungarian Grand Prix, and I think that's a true testament to, to him. How does he compare to, I guess, with other drivers and world champions you've worked with in the past? And why, I guess, do you think that he's got what it takes to become a world champion? Well, I think the first part you alluded to there is absolutely right. He has that same steely grit that any um, world champion needs um, to, to dig in and, and keep going and you need to face of adversity if things go wrong a particular weekend then put that behind you and, and look forward to the next one. I think his driving ability is obviously um, superb, his ability to, to live with a what we call a neutral car, in other words a car that where the rear end moves around a little bit is exceptional and he's matured into a, a great racer you know, he's, he's really not made any mistakes this year if you include Hungary because it's kind of semi-effectively a DNF then he's had three DNFs through no fault of his own the Baku tire blowout uh, Silverstone and now Hungary so but he's, he's kept his head he's bounced back from all of those his natural speed is, is very clear so I think he's he's and, and his feedback is also very good. It's, I've seen it all in terms of driver feedback, which is a huge variable. And you get some drivers who kind of talk endlessly and um, kind of start with the, the first stage of entry into turn one, finishing with the last stage of exit of turn 20. <laughs> Certainly in my case, I've fallen asleep by them. I've lost concentration. Um, whereas Max has, I think, got a very good balance of... of concentrating on the, the key parts that he needs to make the car go faster. Yeah, he's got a hell of a talent, isn't he? And do you enjoy working with, with Max? Yes, no, he's very easy to chat to. Um, he's, he's got a, a, a range of interests, um, which I think is very important for a Formula 1 driver. If, if your only interest is Formula 1, then that can almost make it too important to you when the pressure comes on. So I think Max has got a very good balance in that sense. And um, not long after this now, we're going on summer break for a, a two-week F1 shutdown, which sort of leads us lastly into like the last sort of final question now. First of all, what what do you like to do away from the racetrack? And do you have any plans for the, the two weeks? Do you completely shut off, forget about racing, forget about motorsport or... Are you still going to be there thinking about motorsport and, and racing or driving yourself? I mean, this year is a bit unusual because of all the COVID flight and travel restrictions. Um, but if it's if it's a normal two-week summer break, then I usually try to get away with the family and, and go somewhere warm. I, I do tend to find that the first few days, it, it takes me a few days to unwind, let's say. Um, and so the, which almost means the first week, go quite slowly and then the second week flies by. This year, because of those travel restrictions, I left booking until quite late. So we're going to stay in the UK and travel around the UK a little bit and um, then go to Croatia for five days. So I quite enjoy water skiing, paddle boarding, that sort of thing. I tend to be a... I like beach holidays, but I don't like lying on the beach. I like to do things when I'm there. Yeah, for sure. I, I can completely understand that. Well, yeah, so... I guess that leads me to say, like, thank you very much for your time. And, um, yeah, I hope you have a, 
a good summer break and yeah the second half of the season is just as exciting but maybe slightly better start than it's ended for us and um yeah we'll be chatting hopefully the end of the 2021 season with um a lot to celebrate but yeah thank you very much yeah, well thank you and i think um, a big thank you to to everybody at the factory who talked about me but i mean we all know that this is is very much the team and i think it's a team that that certainly i feel very lucky to be working with you know i think the atmosphere is great the, the ability for people to dig deep and push hard when they need to is fabulous the way people work with each other you know it's, it's it really is a great team i've i've worked for primarily three Formula One teams in terms of Williams, McLaren and here, uh, and Leighton House before that, sorry, so 14. Um, and I would say that despite it being probably Leighton House, I think we were about 50 or 60 people, so it's, it's, it's over 10 times bigger, but it has that same great feel that Leighton House has, and I think that's um, a real tribute to everybody here, so thank you and... Um, Enjoy the break. How special was that chat? Thanks for coming on Talking Ball, Adrian. You're always welcome back. We didn't want to head into the summer break without hearing from our drivers, Sergio and Max. We got them both together to exclusively answer your questions. Over to you, chaps. Do you help Checo understand the car? If so, how? I think it's very difficult to really make someone understand the car. You know, they have to do it themselves with their race engineers, and I think Checo is, is doing really well at that. Your favorite person in Red Bull Garage? I'll say Adam, you know, it's my senior mechanic. I'm always looking at him before I leave the garage, so between the driver and the number one mechanic, there's always good connection. What do you do when it's not race week? Spend uh, time at home with family, friends, uh, a bit of sim racing, and yeah, just relaxing as well. Have you changed the way you drive with the RB16B riding from Mexico? Um, yes, a lot. I just keep adapting and learning every every day with it. I think it's it's getting better all the time. Which has been your most difficult race? For oh, I don't know. I mean, it's difficult to pick one out. Um, you know, you always have difficult moments, I wouldn't say difficult race. How is it to be Max Verstappen's teammate? Hard on track, uh, because he's obviously a very fast, talented guy. Um, but outside it's good fun, you know, I, uh, I enjoy the time that we spend together, we have some good fun. Favorite road car ever? Uh, difficult to really say, I mean, at the moment I'm, I'm driving a Honda NSX and it's an amazing road car. How are, are you so good at tire management? I'm tight on money always, so I always try to look after it and then try to make them last a lo as long as possible. And that has paid some dividends in Formula One. Favorite place for a holiday? I don't know. I mean, I'm still discovering the world, so I can't really say what is the favorite place yet. Most exciting race in his career, in my career, you mean? Baku. Baku was pretty exciting, you know, having. Lewis behind for the whole race was pretty exhausted as well. When, if you win the championship, how will you celebrate? Hopefully a night I will remember, but also not remember at the same time. How has your racing style changed since your debut in 2015? Um, I guess it's just more experience. I think that makes the, the biggest difference. What do you think about the new Formula One car for 2022? I don't know what to think, but uh, I just look forward. You know, it's a new era of, of the Formula One, so We'll see what it brings. After your F1 career, what will you do? What will I do? <laughs> I have uh, quite a lot of plans, um, but they, they change every year, so I guess time will tell. Your plans on pranking the team? Mm, 
Good that you remind me, but uh, it's too early. I have to think about it uh, in the coming weekends. Do you have any superstitions either at track, at the track or outside? Uh, not really, no, nope. no superstitions. What motivates you? Uh, winning. Uh, winning uh, is everything in uh, whatever I do, I try to always be the best at. How is it having Czech as a teammate? Having Checo as a teammate has been great. I mean, he's super nice, super relaxed, and a very fast racing driver. What do you miss from Guadalajara? My family, my friends, and my normal life that I have uh, over, over there. What is your favorite movie and why? Favorite movie, Wolf of Wall Street. I think it was great acting. Favorite car you've ever driven? Um, RB16B. How much Red Bull do you drink? I would say five to six cans in a, in a race weekend, for sure. Who or what is your biggest inspiration? Uh, my kids. Favorite soup? There's only one, tomato soup. Favorite thing about being a Red Bull driver? Getting Red Bull for free. <laughs> How do you keep ahead of pressure? What pressure? More power or more downforce? Well, more downforce. What keeps you motivated? Winning. Your favorite food? Mexican food. Thanks for that, boys. We hope you have a brilliant summer. That's it for this edition of Talking Bull. After an unlucky few races, we still head into the break in a solid position for the next leg, and it's all to play for when we return to Belgium at the end of the month. Until then, take care. <laughs>